Hello, you lovely lot. I wanted to take a moment to share an exciting announcement with you all. I will be doing a live show for Happy Mum, Happy Baby at the podcast show in London on the 22nd of May. This will be a live episode of this very podcast featuring me and a very special soon-to-be-announced guest. Get ready for a candid conversation, unfiltered truths, laughs, invaluable non-judgmental advice and lived experiences. Dive into the complexities of parenting while juggling work, relationships and personal growth and we'll be talking beyond the baby years. As well as the live episode, the show will also include a Q&A with both me and my guest. Tickets go on sale this Friday the 26th of April at 10am, but anyone who is part of the Happy Mum, Happy Baby newsletter will be getting early access to tickets on Wednesday the 24th of April at 10am. To sign up to the newsletter and for more information about the event, please head to happymumhappybaby.com forward slash events. I can't wait to see you there. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Happy Mum, Happy Baby, the podcast. Today's guest, well, I've seen him on TV lots and lots and lots, but actually he really came into my world this year when someone DM'd me, not him, and said, have you seen what this person is doing? They are running 76 marathons in 76 cities in 76 consecutive days. And I thought, what on earth is this? So I went on to his Instagram page and I think he was on day 30-something at the time and I was hooked the entire challenge. He has since completed that. He is also father to India. It's Joshua Patterson. Hello. Hello. Honestly, like watching you this year, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I loved the way it was captured. It just showed the experience in a really real way. Yeah. Thank you so much for that. And one of the aspirations with this challenge, I knew that the running was actually not what was going to make the difference. It was the connection. And I've been in this space now. I fell on my feet on it, excuse the pun, like six years ago. And what I've learned from these experiences is actually it's not the magnitude of the challenge that's important. It's the connection that you make with the people. Because I've done challenges, I wouldn't say necessarily equal in measure, but pretty massive and extreme in their own right. But I just got the formula wrong where we probably would go to YouTube and do like weekly videos or I wouldn't necessarily use stories at the time on Instagram. And it's one of those things where in your head you think people are invested, but if they can't see it, they can't feel it. Whereas this time round, for me, the formula was every single day we've got to document this because actually when I hit a really, really tough spot, which I did quite a few times, it's that desire and investment into the person of like how they're going to bounce back from this is tomorrow going to be the same or can it change because actually I think in life when somebody is going through that tough time for me it was just kind of showcasing that message that things can change you know we keep talking about finding the light at the end of the tunnel I think it just gave people such a booster when we did bounce back and sometimes in the most surprising ways so I think that's one of the things I'm most proud of yeah growing up yeah Were you someone who loved physical challenges? 
was good at acting, sport and art. I still haven't been diagnosed, but actually just through my daughter's journey right now, who we are in the process of getting a diagnosis because, you know, we do strongly believe she does have ADHD. Mm -hmm. and, and although I've not been diagnosed with it, it's only in the past couple of years where I'm pretty... Like, well, there's so much dialogue I, I have. around that yeah. now. And you, I think when you're hearing other people talk about stuff and their symptoms, you can kind of go, that's me. Someone is describing me. Yeah. I mean, how surreal is that? I mean, I'm literally sat at my daughter, who's six years old, with her teacher and the head of the junior school, talking about my child. And I'm actually learning about myself yeah. through this conversation. I'm really grateful that I was able to have that conversation about India, but also for them to have the awareness in this modern day that this is a possibility and how can we improve it? It yeah. wasn't a concern. The way it was articulated was just amazing. I didn't have that. I was quite a problematic child at school and there was an awful lot going on in my personal life and, you know, my inability to take in knowledge, but then be able to take in knowledge like when I did acting and learning my lines. But it was because I was invested and I loved it. The minute I found something difficult, I would just disconnect. Right. I think school as a whole for me from an educational point of view was a real struggle. I just well, how didn't... old were you when you went to boarding school? I went at 16 years of age. Right. And I'll be honest with you, from a financial point, in terms of learning academically, I would probably say my dad could have probably invested that money <laughs> somewhere else. Right. Not because I didn't try. I just think we just didn't have like an awareness of what I had yeah. and what we could do to rectify that. It was very much like, here's the curriculum, it fits all. And we mm -hmm. now know that that's just not the case. If you have somebody with ADHD and someone without, giving them the same book isn't necessarily going to work. No. The font size... You know, the words, how many, you know, if it's got 10 pages and it's got 50 pages, which book are you realistically going to connect with more? For me, probably the 10 pages. Has it got images? What colours are there? You know, I'm 34, but that's still what I would really connect yeah. with. And I know my daughter does too. The thing is with boarding school at that time was just the people I met is what has changed or changed my life at that time. My social skills, I think just the awareness of the broader world. Now, I know some would argue that it's from privilege, but a lot of these families who have sent their children there, like my father, my father came from poverty in Northern Ireland. I'm talking like as bad as it possibly could have got, had worked really hard to get me there. So when people make these assumptions about yourself and other individuals that yeah. go to these schools, everyone's cut from the same cloth. Mm -hmm. I have such a balanced lifestyle. You know, my family from Northern Ireland are so unbelievably humble. And even though my mum came from a very successful family, she very much worked her way to the top. It wasn't a case of we're going to live off our parents here. And so, you know, one of the greatest assets I have is actually, I think, the way I was raised by both my parents, but the exposure I had to the broader world. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And your parents divorced when you were 13? Yes, I was 13. But I mean, to be honest with you, you know, I speak really openly about this now. It used to be something that I would hide. It's about timing, I think. That's when you... interesting. Why would, did you feel like you used to have to hide that? Um, I think it was shame, most likely. And I think a lot of my life has probably consisted of feeling shame about who I am and my life and things that have happened. And actually... What I've come to realise is it's the way you articulate it and when you articulate it, also the authenticity behind it. Yeah. I think especially in this space now, you know, when you are in the public eye, you know, and I can say this delicately because I think you get it too. There's a lot of people that drop these bombshells, but something's coming out. They're selling something, yeah. right? And I think, unfortunately, it's got to the point now where there seems to be this lack of like trust in this space and so for me it's not a case of speaking about it often but when I speak about it it's ensuring that it's heard yeah and I'm on a journey and I think again why people connected so much with run for a million and the challenge was my vulnerability it wasn't a case of you have this guy that's over emotional even at times when I was visibly crying I made a real strong point to like the camera guys, don't just stick a camera in my face and make it look clear. Like if I'm crying, just respect me and just film it from afar, but it had more of an impact. And so when I talk about my parents and they have quite a volatile relationship and the divorce, you know, that had a major impact in my life. I almost had to become a parent at a very young age to mediate them yeah. and really support my father. You know, my dad... He's a strong-minded character who, like so many adults in our lives, has been through so much but has never processed it or feels he has the ability to process mm -hmm. it. And so when you're trying to almost father the father at a young age, it's a huge weight on your shoulders. You know, I experienced a lot which 
has probably shaped the man that I've become today. Would I have wanted it to have happened? Absolutely not. But that's just life, unfortunately. Um, You know, we can learn from it. And so when India's mother and I broke up, although we weren't married, for me, no matter how we may have felt about one another at that time or whatever things may have gone on, it was really important that the both of us broke that cycle. We were not going to repeat the same behaviour that both of our parents had been through Mm -hmm. because then our child is going to inherit that and we're just going to keep going through the same motion. So that's one of the things I would say I'm most proud of is the way that the both of us have raised our daughter. And I think that's something that you two took control of from the start and from an outsider. It feels like you've never strayed away from that line. There is no animosity. This is something that's very... Because sometimes people say that and you're like, something's happened. But for you two, it feels like you have been so together in that. And um, India is a massive part of that and, and I think it's because of the respect that you have for each other and the knowledge that you have from your childhoods that has made you be that way. Yeah, you know, my mum's influence in that too. There's really important things I think in India's life that she needs to see in here. And I think there are times where naturally her mother and I aren't going to agree on things, but she'll never know about that. Yeah. Even if we dislike one another, which isn't the case, she'll never know about that because that doesn't achieve anything. You know, she has a photo of her mother and her by a bedside table. Her mum is a huge part of the household. I absolutely adore her brothers. They are just the sweetest things. It's really important for me that I'm in their life as much as they're in our life. I don't want there to be that separation between the two households. Mm -hmm. You know, when they're slightly older, if we do trips, they're more than welcome to come. And it sounds really strange. You know, I'm sure some might react to this, but... There is a love for her brothers. They are her brothers. And so although they're not my children, I would treat them the same, you know, in my household. And I really do hope when I have more children that we can really solidify those relationships between them because family is such a beautiful thing. And I don't think there needs to be any reason for that separation, in all honesty, because for a child to just feel content and free and relaxed around that environment I just think is the healthiest thing I don't want her to ever feel the way I did as a child which is kind of like that gut-wrenching anxiety of like who's going to say what when is it going to kick off by doing that I know you're going to trigger that person so I think it's just having that mindfulness moving forward to prevent that from happening yeah absolutely almost that fluidity of her life you know it's not kind of like now I'm being picked up staccato version of life yeah kind of just making things easier for her. Yeah, and I mean, so India started doing this thing. It might be correlated to her ADHD, but she started, like, sniffing her hands. It's become, like, a bit of a habit. Like, a couple of weeks ago, she brought it up to me and said, oh, you know, this girl in, in my class has told me that I'm weird. And I said, oh, why are you weird, bud? And I'd never actually realised it, to be fair, until she brought it up. She was like, oh, I sniff my hands. And I said, why do you do that? And she was like, I don't know. And so last night, I just left it. I didn't make a big deal about it. So when she was laying in bed, I just sniffed my hands. But I did it, obviously. And she went, what are you doing? I said, I'm just sniffing my hands, bub. And she went, why are you doing that? I said, I don't know. It's just something I do. She went, I do that too, forgetting about the conversation. And I said, well, there you go. Like, you know, we all have our own little things. I just said, I quite like the smell. She's like, so do I. End of conversation. We carry on reading the book and then she goes to sleep. So... You know, it's just picking up on these traits and just normalising it to them because, you know what, if somebody wants to sniff their hands, fine. When you get older, <laughs> there there's things. a lot worse things in this world, I'll be honest with you, you know. <laughs> when you were younger, did you ever look ahead to your future and think of yourself as a dad and think of yourself as a family? Because I yeah. guess when you've come from a family that aren't together and there's been that tension, I think looking for it in your future can be a something that you just can't see it for yourself. Do you know what? So I've been doing a project recently and it's something that I have sort of like written about and I'm probably coming to terms with. And again, I think when I did MIC, it was really tough in the sense that, and I didn't even realise this, and that sort of environment isn't there to nurture any trauma in life. It's there to make a quite a success. Well, it's there to make an an entertaining show. show. Exactly. My only interaction with love has been toxic and hurtful and has caused me a lot of pain and so I actually think looking back on my life now and I'm okay with it because I think it's a journey where now I can acknowledge it I can try and and work on it is that I I'm scared of love I'm scared of building those connections and so having met Indy's mum on the show it kind of maybe pushed me in a direction that I ordinarily wouldn't have been. And I wouldn't have got into that relationship if I didn't want to. But I think although it was a wonderful thing in the sense that it put me in a position where I met someone that I wanted to be with, because I'd never had a serious girlfriend prior to that. And I was 26 years of age. 
at the same time, I had no idea how to be a boyfriend or yeah. how to be in a relationship. And I think rather than this is no uh, aim at her, but I think when you have someone who equally has got a lot going on and can misread signals and then you have producers and a show in their ear and they're villainizing you for making the most innocent mistakes, you know, like we filmed a trip abroad once and I just wanted to go water skiing with the boys and be on the beach and be a kid. And that had nothing to do with me not wanting to be with the person that I was with. I was just like in my element because I love to be outside and explorer. But then storylines would be created that I was neglecting the person. And I just kept getting battered the whole time. And it was so difficult for me because it was like, you're punishing me. And I believe I'm a good person. And I want to make this person happy. And whenever we're not in this environment, we seem to be. But then when we're back in it, you just keep flagging up all of these things. Rather than kind of taking my hand and going, have you thought about this? It was just, bam, you are the villain. And then, you know, people in the streets and lovers of the show would then jump on it and they would, you know, type you as this terrible person and blah, 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 blah. You know, looking back on it now, like it, it was tough because I don't think it was justified. But listen, in the end of the day, I look back on any adversity that I faced, I continue to believe it shapes you. So like, it, you know, in a way it's, I don't know, it's look, an education. My brother was also the villain on a different reality TV show. And I think what is tricky is that they're called reality TV shows, but actually... There are producers. Yeah. There's a narrative that needs to be followed, that needs to be created. And there are characters that have to be made. You know, not everyone can go in and look great. Where's the drama in everyone? Yeah. I would quite like to watch something where everyone's just having fun. But essentially, they need that storyline. And unfortunately for you and for Mario, you became those villains. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I remember so well. This is how naive I was. The first ever series we did, we did our press day where we meet journalists from all different magazines and channels. We'd just been to like Mauritius, we had the best time. Everyone was just like in a good place. You know, they were like, what can we expect from the series? And I was like, do you know what? I feel like this is gonna be different to what people have interpreted the show as, where we've got a group of mates, we're just having the best time and just being young. And I remember every journalist going, oh. Yeah. <laughs> what, so what, so there's no drama? And I was like, no, there's been none. And then I, oh. Do you think there will be? But at that time, it, I didn't think much of it. But looking back, you're like, wow, like that's so unhealthy that that's your reaction where you like, I want someone's life to be in tatters, to be entertained. But unfortunately, it's not the viewer's fault. It's the show that's created yeah. that unfortunately has kind of molded the viewer's mindset to be invested in that. Well, and ultimately, like you were saying, I think it's really difficult to be a couple on one of those shows because you have producers in people's ears going, well, maybe don't. You're going into a scene, say, and you don't know what's going to be chucked at you by the person that you love yeah. because there are these other people there kind of going, I'm going to show you this text now and then go or whatever it yeah, is. You know, it's sure. almost like getting everyone riled up that they can create a TV show. Yeah, exactly. We have to remember in life, I mean, there are people out there who have a heart of gold and there were, there were producers where they break the laws for sure, where you would be about to be thrown into a fire pit. Like we said, it's been orchestrated. You've got a group of people around a table going, how can we make this a spicy scene? Mm. And you're getting thrown into a pit. You have no idea what to expect and they know you're going to get absolutely annihilated. And what made the difference was just that one producer coming up to you going, listen, you're about to go into a scene with X, Y, and Z. This is what they're going to talk about. Mm -hmm. You literally have a minute to just reflect on that. Yeah. That minute made the difference yeah. because you, you, you could take it in. You could kind of like reflect on what's gone on, how to articulate yourself well, not to get overly flustered because they can then manipulate that too. You know, sadly, on the flip side, there are people where they con themselves that they are doing this because it's their job. But actually, you're looking at them going, nah, this is more but than you, en you, you, en you enjoy this. This is enjoyment <laughs> yeah. because I think anyone with a heart of gold wouldn't necessarily want you to be in that environment. Yeah. And I think when you take in things like mental health, you look at the traits of certain individuals and you've maybe had conversations on nights out with these producers where you've opened up as you normally would and they kind of know what your triggers are and then those triggers are being pushed. You know, that for me is when I think the boundary started to be crossed. And, you know, ultimately that's where as an adult you make the decision. You know, yeah. these guys are technically not at fault because you know what you're signing up for. This is the show and it's about entertainment. And if you don't want to be a part of that, you have the power to walk away. Ultimately, when I found out I was going to be a daddy, it was a no-brainer for me. You know, it came at a time where... Had you and her mum ever talked about... No, 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 no. So in truth, that actually happened. The relationship had ended. I'd ended the relationship. 
I just felt like we were just in different parts of our life at that time, as much as I adored her. But we tried too many times, not realising it at that time, but I think looking back, the fact that we were just on this show, you just can't flourish and be on a show. Yeah. You can't, unfortunately. Nope, unfortunately, and, no one wants you to. Pro- prove me, prove, you know, yeah. any, any relationship that has flourished is because they're no longer on it. Yeah. And so... For me, it was timing. And, you know, we were young. We were so young, you know, mid-20s. And I've never had a girlfriend. And my first ever relationship's on this show. So, you know, unfortunately, ended. And then three weeks later, I found out that I was going to be a dad. So, like, it was a pretty crazy time for me. How did you feel in that moment? I was terrified because one of my biggest fears in life was that I was going to replicate my mum and dad and bring a child in a broken home. I'd never wanted to get divorced. I hadn't even got married and I was about to become a father and I wasn't even with the mother. And, you know, the fear was that the synergy just wasn't there between us. And I was like, how are we going to make this work? But life throws you these curveballs. And, you know, when you fast forward to this present day, you know, I'm 34 years of age and I look back and I did a speech recently at an awards where... You know, I can honestly say I've achieved more in my life since the day my daughter was born than any year before that. And with my fear of love and building that connection with someone, you know, would I even have a child? So although at that time it came at a very vulnerable point in my life, you know, she's such a gift because, again, it kind of forced my hand when I probably wouldn't have played it myself. Mm. And so I'm so incredibly grateful for it because she's just the most beautiful little girl. I know parents will always say this about their child, but like her emotional maturity and just how kind and nurturing she is and just her like her passion for adventure for me is just really inspiring. You know, being a parent is a really scary thing, even to this day where there's just no right and wrong, to be honest with you. Like you're always going to make mistakes. And I know there's books out there that people will read and try and follow, but every child is so different. You know, for me, when you look at my career right now, where I've kind of gone into these extreme challenges and, you know, the time that that might take away from me, one of the biggest decisions I had to make when doing Run for One Million was I was going to be away for two and a half months on the road. And I think on paper, the way that a lot of us are raised, we often hear about how our parents and our grandparents sacrifice their lives for us. And I looked at that. And although it's not a case of I'm not grateful for that, but actually what I look at is were they fulfilled in life? And I know some may have been that their child is their life, but actually times have very much changed now. And I had to look at myself and go, if I was to replicate that model, I would not be a good father because I wouldn't be happy. I wouldn't be stimulated or fulfilled. And for me, what I've realized is, is that by not being with India all the time, because she spends the other half of the time with her mother, is that it's not about the time with them. It's about the quality of the time you have with them. And so even though I'd be away for two and a half months, what impact could I make on my daughter's life and mine moving forwards? And what relationship would that build? Because ultimately, if I want my daughter to have the mindset to believe that anything is possible, I need to showcase that to her. Now, I wish... I could do a nine to five job and go down that route and do it. But that's just not what I'm made of. Life has very much taken me down this direction where I have the ability to do these phenomenal things. And it's not conventional, but life isn't. And Mm -hmm. even that in itself, I like the fact that what I do isn't conventional because if she grows up and she finds a passion that doesn't necessarily follow suit, I want her to be okay with that. You know, although she's young now and she might not fully understand what it is that she's doing... As she gets older, she'll see that she's been with me like through every single stage of this process. We used to do half marathons together where she'd be in a push (laughs) buggy where she'd be asleep. For some reason, it used to send her straight to sleep. So I don't know how much of it she remembers, but it was but but it's documented. So, you know, I want her to know that she played a massive part in it. Has becoming a dad, has it given you some sort of drive to do these challenges? Yeah, I think so. You didn't do any before India arrived, did you? That's a really Not good to question. This extreme. So, no. So, Bear Grylls approached myself and a guy called Ross Edgley to do a survival race that right. he'd created. One was a 10K, the other was a 30K, and we had to go off and train with the Marines. And I ended up going to Spain and training with an ex SAS guy. Yeah, I just, I absolutely loved it. I mean, just the only way I can describe it is it's like method acting. But in fitness, you know how with method actors, they just don't break character and they are so fully invested in that role. For me, it was like that with this. I was just consumed by it, but in the best way. And I think 
that was probably one of the first points where I was like, this is what I love. Yeah. I love to do this. And I know it doesn't correlate with a lot of people and it's hard to explain it to them, but I'm waking up excited and motivated for the day. Whereas prior, the thought of just doing conventional things just didn't work because mm. I couldn't connect with it. It didn't stimulate me. And, and I was kind of fearful of like what my future had in store, whereas this really gave me purpose. Yeah, And I think that's the most important thing is, is that you do wake up with purpose. And so... My daughter gave me a reason to live when I was struggling. And these challenges give me a reason to live because there are so many people out there equally that are, are struggling and I'll probably, they've got much further on in their journey to go and I feel like I have the ability to help them through that process and maybe avoid some of the hurdles that I'd faced. You've talked a lot about your mental health over the years and I think there's certain trigger points in life that can really affect that. How did knowing that you were going to become a dad do that? Because, I mean, my husband has talked about his being bipolar before and, you know, for him reading a book about becoming a dad, they talked about depression and stuff. And for him, yeah. that was just a massive thing. That's where I might go. And actually reading that kind of triggered something off yeah. rather than the actual becoming a dad part. Do you know what? So I think the way I try and articulate my battles with my mental health is I try and showcase the positives. Yeah. That's the goal I have in life, is that I want people to reassess how they perceive themselves when they live with mental illness and how they perceive others too. And so any time I've ever done a challenge, I wouldn't say coincidentally, because I think it spurs me on more, those are times in my life where I've probably been mentally quite vulnerable. But what I love is, is during lockdown, I was going through three legal battles at the same time, all of which were not my fault. And this isn't public knowledge, but I speak about it because actually... I'm in lockdown. I'm literally in my apartment like everybody else was at that time. So I had no human connection, which I am. I'm an extrovert. I love being around people. I've got these three legal battles going on of which financially, mentally is absolutely yeah. crippling me. So from a mental health point of view, I was probably at one of the lowest points of my life because we are raised to believe in right and wrong. And yet what I realised from these legal battles is that like, it just really comes down to what a person's interpretation of what right and wrong is. Yeah. You know, it's about winning, ultimately. That broke me. And so when I look at that period of my life, when people know that I've done the six marathons in the five days around the patio, and then two weeks later, I did the 24 hours around it, for me, I look back at that and I don't feel the pain of those battles. Mm. I look at the successes of those challenges. And so it's turning a negative into a positive and repeating that process time and yeah. time again. And so whenever my time is up on this earth, and I have no idea, that could be a week from now, it could be a year. I just want people to realize what can come from it. And so for me, mental illness is a terrible disease. But it's got to the point where I've come to accept that at times it might consume me, but I ultimately have the control how I respond to that. And by responding to it, I choose to do these things because I can connect with more people because of the empathy I feel for them yeah. and try and change that narrative. Yeah. It's so hard, though, isn't it? Because I think when people are seeing everything as people achieving being positive, sometimes there's that gap that can appear between the point of being at rock bottom or at your lowest to getting there. When you are in that darkness, that stuff can feel so far away. Yes, it can be inspiring, but it can feel like, how? Do you know what I mean? It feels yeah. so far away from where you are in that moment. I heard a really powerful line where you don't want to kill yourself. You want to kill a part of you. Mm. In your head, you think, right, by ending things on this day, I won't feel that pain. But you're never going to feel again. I think we've got to remind yourself of that. And take the privilege element out of it. Again, what I'm trying to showcase to people in life is that, you know, in my early 20s, I was rock bottom, really, really bad. I was very close to ending my life. And fortunately, when I went to do it, I did pause. And it was in that moment that I speak very openly about where by pausing, even though I didn't have the answer as to why, there was something worth living for. But otherwise, I would have just gone ahead and done it. And so... Having gone from that breaking point and then if you fast forward and you look and you go, okay, this guy's literally wanting to end his life. He ends up on one of the most successful shows on television. I've traveled the world. I've now set up a really successful company with my two business partners when I genuinely haven't got a qualification to my name, but I've surrounded myself with exceptional people to enable these sorts of mm. things to happen. I've gone on to break and set new world records around the world and I'm not 
an athlete as such. I'm just someone who's just passionate about these things. And I just want people to see that and highlighting actually what can come from life. And had I ended my life that day, I never would have experienced this. And just the icing on the cake is, is that I became a father to a beautiful little girl and found love when I didn't think it was possible. And so I'm so eternally grateful for the life that I have. And for me, I think what I've taken from that day is, is that every day I wake up is a second chance. And so I really want to make the most of it. And, you know, if you look at the remarkable work that you do and the people that you expose yourself to, it tends to be when an individual is diagnosed with something or they feel like time is short that they really throw themselves yeah. at life to make the most of it. And what I'm trying to do here is to get people to have that approach to life and not wait for that diagnosis. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise, you kind of go through life and some may say they're content. But I just think the problem with life right now is that we're not the limitation, but I think society is, you know, when you look at our children and the things that they want to do and we're constantly telling them no and I think that's what happens through life is they keep hearing no and so it's sort of like I would have really loved to have done this but I didn't because for me I'm trying to change that for them yeah well I think growing up we're told the set order of life yeah you know we have to do this and then we do that and then we do this and actually do feel like that's being thrown out the window right now yeah but then there's this so what do we do yeah. but that's an exciting thing yeah. rather than a kind of scary thing 100% yeah I mean be creative mm. and I, and I it's so difficult because I think there's too many links and I think that's the problem. Is it resolvable? Probably not fully, but I think we can certainly improve sectors or approaches to different individuals. Yeah. You know, would I say the things like the education system, going back to that, was appropriate for me? From a social point, absolutely. From an academic point, I wouldn't say it was, in all honesty. And actually, if I look at the life I've lived now, has going to school bar learning obviously the maths and the English being a benefit no actually I look at my life now and I'm sat amongst individuals with first degrees at university I have nothing but I'm able to educate them on things yeah and we're not taught that it's about celebrating the things that people do come with because I think you know like you I think when you're in a classroom or a meeting with teachers and you're being told they don't do this they don't do this they don't do this what do they do because they will be doing something. So can we look at those things and celebrate those things rather than constantly telling our child, our children, that they're not doing the things that everyone else is? Yeah, I mean, just nurture the things that they love. There was a really powerful moment, I think, in this discussion with India's teachers where they were saying at this point in her life, there's no acknowledgement of it. But as they get older, that gap will start to broaden. And that's when I think low self-esteem and insecurities can start to come in. And so what we need to do is, is just highlight actually the qualities that that child has and mm -hmm. emphasize those, because if that's what makes them feel good, we need more of that in their life. Things like her homework, for instance, homework was just one rule for all, whereas homework now for India, her teacher's phenomenal where she's gone, just do what you can. Yeah. And after 15 minutes, if you feel she's being distracted, fine. If she only does half a page, fine but just do what you can and we'll just work on that bit by bit. That was never the way before. No. And actually, I think that really helps me with my business where I've probably had situations with employees where in my head I'm sort of like, this is the way it should be approached. But then actually you learn to adapt and like everyone is different in terms of how you articulate. Sometimes some individuals like a really firm talking to, others really, and it doesn't matter if it's a thousand times, mm -hmm. just need an arm around them to just keep reassuring them that it's going to be okay. Yeah. It's adaptation, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. 
Going back, how did you feel heading towards the birth and India's arrival? Again, it was just so much uncertainty. I think planning a child and being with the partner is one thing, but Mm -hmm. I think you'll agree. I don't think there's ever a right time to have a child. I don't think you can ever be prepared because I think there are so many curveballs. I think we were together. We decided to get back and not for her, but I think we just came at a time where we really want to try and make things work. There was a time where we were really happy, but I think just age came into things. And, you know, I don't know, it was tricky. I mean, the birth itself, I would say, you know, a lot of parents, and this is something that I once had shame to even say is that a lot of the time we're told that you have unconditional love for your child. Probably took me a while to really feel that for India. Mm hmm. And actually, it was just the smallest things that broke those barriers down. You know, the first time they smile at you, the first time they grab your finger, when they nestle themselves into you, there's just these small things. And you go, God, like that really is just pulled a cord here where that love just gradually grows. And I think it's just reassuring mothers and fathers that it's okay to feel that way. But you will get there. And I think we are a generation where we are far more connected to our children than maybe generations before. That stiff upper lip attitude. You know, my grandpa is 97 this year and I don't think he's probably going to make it over the next couple of weeks. He's not great, but he's lived a phenomenal life. But, you know, my uncle never really had a relationship with him and finds that really challenging. That saddens me that a parent could have a child and be so disconnected, where it's the attitude, I guess, of, like, seen but not heard. Yeah, exactly that. It's a very modern thing now, isn't it? I think you posted something about, you know, India having the remote control and you've not watched something that you wanted to watch for days. No. And it is that, you know, our kids do, in a certain way, rule the roost. You know, yeah. they have a massive say in what's going on in the world. And I think our generation are very different in that. It's a group dynamic that we're running. We aren't running the household in the same way that it would have been done by our parents or the generations before that. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm all for it. I think it's really important. My dad was raised a certain way. He was one of five. Both him and my mum, to be fair, probably in equal measure, have in the beginning had no idea why I was doing what I was doing. They just couldn't really connect the dots to it. Well, your stuff with India? Well, just more like challenges and stuff. But, But what I mean in terms of like, I guess, them learning from it and especially things like mental illness, my dad just didn't understand it, even though he himself really struggles with it too. And actually, I think by exposing him to me, how I express myself, these challenges and seeing the positives that can come from it has kind of educated and enabled him to process and open up about things that he had not done before. You know... It would have been so easy for me to be angered by my dad's behavior when I was a child by some of the things that he did. And it's not condoning it, but it's only like, you know, I can speak openly. About, like my mum was saying that when she went over to Northern Ireland and she met my grandpa, I never met him. He passed away before I was born, but he was a very troubled soul. And the first time she met him, he took her straight over to the fireplace and said, oh, do you see that poker there? I used to beat your husband with that when he was a child with a smile on his face. My mum was mortified. And she was like, if he would say that to the wife of his son on a first meet, what would he actually be like behind closed doors? And my dad never spoke openly about his childhood. But I think hearing that you can get an understanding of the life that he lived. And also by them having absolutely no money at all, they didn't have a childhood. Mm. His his responsibility was to literally put food on the table and support his mother, who I can say was an absolute saint. And sadly, I never met. But anyone that ever met her, she was someone who genuinely sacrificed her life for everyone. But that was the only choice she had. But I think it does make me happier knowing that in some way I am, I don't know, empowering my dad or allowing him to feel that it's okay to feel these certain ways Mm -hmm. and not to hold resentment for the past. Because actually, I think that's the most important thing is we can't harve it or like hold that negative energy throughout life. We have to let it go in order to move forwards with things. And I mean, the other day he said to me, you know what, son, like I have really struggled for a long time to understand these challenges and what you do. But I think it was Run for One Million in particular was the big one for him where he was like, do you know what? I truly understand that now. And for him to say that and articulate it in that way might not sound like a lot to to certain individuals, but that was one of the biggest compliments he could pay. And that meant an awful lot to me because that meant to me that, you know, if not working with anybody else, it was working with him. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I honestly think that having children exposes certain parts of us you know our inner child is there and 
it must have been so difficult for him to kind of figure out what is that father figure. And I think so many of that generation would have had the same thing. We are a product of our upbringing, but we can fight against it and we can be something different and we can break down that cycle. But it takes so much to push out of that. And actually at that time where our parents were, you know, like starting out in their parenting journey, there wasn't anything like that. You know, yeah. I think the first thing probably in the parenting space was Super Nanny. Yeah. You know, and now we're in a much different place to that. I honestly hope that by everyone talking about parenting in the way that they do now, in some way it's healing for our parents to kind of understand that there aren't answers. No one knows what they're doing. Everyone is winging it. And we all bring so many different things to that experience, but we're all trying our best. I think understanding why our parents are the way they are is a massive part in our healing. Yeah. I think the two major things that I am trying to implement for myself and for any other parent who's listening to this to maybe approach or adapt is I think most important of all is just be present. Yeah. I think so many parents, and don't get me wrong, there are times from a financial point where unfortunately we can't always be there for our child. But in some instances you could. And I think it's a choice not sometimes to be there. You know, that old line of like, oh, I'm doing this because of the life that we live. But they don't want fancy holidays. Mm -hmm. They don't want nice cars. They don't really care about big houses. I think when you look at children, when we give them their gifts on birthdays or Christmases, it's not the big present that they care about. It's the wrapping paper. Yeah. It's the wooden spoon or the box. It's mm -hmm. the most basic things. But then we instill this mindset in them about this materialism. that This is what they need 45 presents. They don't at all. I started to learn with India whenever we'd have special days like that where she started to lose the value of the gift that she was being given because there were so many. How can you be present with that one singular gift when you've got 14 others maybe next to it? Yeah. And so I really am selective about what I do. So it's not focused so much on materialistic possessions, but more experiences. And she absolutely loves it. So I think it's about a balance from that and emotion. I think too often, and I'm really guilty of this, it's through speaking to my therapist where I've started to understand this more, is we have got to stop expecting our children to be rational. Yeah. As they get older, they naturally will. But there were times when India was four or five and I'd be getting, or even now where I get so cross with her at times about things. And you're coming at that with a rational mindset. It's not a case that they don't have the ability to be rational, but I think you're just expecting too much from them. And so when they get emotional, there were times where India would break into tears immediately and it, I just couldn't understand it. And I made that mistake. And this is when you have to be open on these podcasts mm -hmm. in the past where I would say, don't cry. Yeah. And actually through speaking to the therapist, they were saying that's exactly what's wrong. What you need to be saying is it's you don't have to be airy-fairy about it but at the same time it's, it's okay to be emotional bub like listen yeah. I hear you and when you're ready to talk about it we can talk about it and actually that's improved things moving forward because actually you know there are times when it's absolutely chucking it down with rain it's freezing and she wants to wear a skirt I don't obviously <laughs> you shouldn't wear a skirt because you're going to be wet and cold but for her she loves Elsa and she wants to dress as Elsa and there's just nothing else in her head that she can think of and so you know there's an element where you have to respect that and also there's times where they kind of learn from that because within five minutes I know she's going to turn to me and go daddy I'm cold yeah so sometimes just make that let them make that mistake maybe take those trousers with you mm -hmm. so that when she does want to change you've got them there rather than punishing them for it yeah Absolutely that. Because sometimes that you can waste a lot of time debating things like that. And you're just like, look, let's just pack this just in case yeah. and go. I'll listen to you. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll do your your version of events, but just in case. A hundred percent. Just, I think, pick your battles yeah. with them. I mean, you know, Indy 6 will be seven next year and I'm still learning every single day. You know, just to reassure parents, it's okay to be insecure. Mm. It's okay to get it wrong. It's okay to get angry and upset about things because it is testing. You're exhausted. You know, I had half term with her and, you know, people are like, did you have the best time? I'm like, I did, but I'm knackered <laughs> because, you know, she'll go back to her mum for a couple of days and we don't switch off. You go straight back to work. But there are so many wonderful things that come from that. And I am a single dad, so just for me trying to balance my business and India and the challenges and training and everything that goes in, I've got to be smarter about the decisions I make because, you know, I got to a point where I probably complain about how much I have going on, but I have the control to limit yeah. that, you know? So rather than taking on more things, maybe just focus more on one to two to three things that you mm -hmm. think are more digestible in order to achieve that recovery. This new way of parenting between you and her mum, it's a journey to get there. And I imagine in the early days, figuring that out 
could have been quite challenging for you to kind of just work out how this is going to work and then having the communication skills to let that evolve over time. One of my biggest frustrations, and I can't speak for her, I think is influence. Yeah. When you have someone influencing their view on things or their approach, and my opinion's not fat, but you're looking at that going, you've got that so fundamentally wrong and you're actually making the situation more complex than it needed to be. What you need to be doing is empowering that individual to make those decisions for themselves mm. or having the maturity to have that discussion with the only person that's important, which is myself or her, yeah. in order to move forward. Because ultimately it's our child mm -hmm. and we have to parent that child in the way that we feel is most appropriate. We're definitely going to have different approaches to things, you know, in terms of like potential lifestyle that we offer that child. And again, there's no right or wrong. I think what you have to understand is, is rather than you kind of going at it going, this is how we should raise our child. I think you just have to be aware that a dynamic is naturally going to be different in a different home. But what's important is, is that balance. Mm -hmm. You know, for me, like if there's values that I want to instill in my child, it doesn't matter if they spend the majority of their time with someone. The fact that they're still exposed to that viewpoint will have an impression. Mm. And then ultimately, as they get older, they'll make that decision for themselves. I might be sounding like I have it all worked out. I'm telling you guys, I bloody don't. <laughs> so yeah. I want to make that clear. But also, it's again, it's like the mental health journey. It's a journey that you're on to get where you are now. Because in those initial days, years ago, we spoke to an amazing woman called Isma Almas, who, when she was talking about her and her husband's divorce and her two kids, she talked about this loneliness that she felt. You know, she'd come home from work when the kids were with her ex, and she would literally walk straight upstairs, straight to her room, and block out the rest of the house because the kids weren't there. And there was just this feeling of something missing. They then changed like how they were doing things and ultimately they found a, a new way of you know doing that. And I know other people that at the time that they're not with their kids, they are focused on other things and you know the way that they sort of balance their lives and stuff. So yeah, it's just interesting, I guess, to going from one point and getting to where you are now, it's a process. Yeah, it is. And I think what you've got to do is, and I know this is really easy for me to say this, but it is something you just have to try and, and adapt to, is rather than focusing on the things you don't have, focus on the things that you do. You know, ultimately... I'm not with my daughter all the time. And a lot of people go, is that really difficult? I think initially it probably was. But then at the same time, if that's your reality from now on, then that's just your reality. Yeah. You know, I can either go through my days going, my house is empty. I really miss my child. Or I can be really excited for the days that I have her and plan these sorts of things. And actually, for me, what I'm grateful for is that I genuinely went through life are still to this day with this imposter syndrome of like, I have no qualifications. I genuinely have no idea what job I'm going to do. And I have this business now with two amazing business partners. And I pride myself on being, when I can, the first person in the office. Not because it makes a statement. It's because I love what I do. Like, if I can be in the office for half seven in the morning, on average, most probably will try coming around half eight to nine o'clock. I love that feeling, mm. but I can't do that when I have India. Yeah. I have to take her to school. And actually, when we're leaving for school to get there, I've already been in the office for an hour. So it's little things like that where I'm really grateful that I have those days where I can do that. I like the fact that I don't have to rush home sometimes to go collect her from school or whatever activity she might have because I can then fulfill what I need. Yeah. It's good to have a balance. And I think... You know, as I was discussing before about ADHD, having that awareness for myself now, although not diagnosed, you know, routine is so key. And that routine obviously is completely thrown out the way. And there are definitely times for me where it's hard to process that mm -hmm. because it, it kind of throws, I'm quite imbalanced, I guess, with that. And so on the days I don't have her, you naturally can follow that routine to a T. When I'm not with indeed with the business and certain things I'm working on myself personally in my career and the training element that goes into it. I train incredibly hard in order to maintain my physical to go into the next challenge. You know, it is demanding. Yeah. And so having a good night's sleep where I don't have Indy waking me up at four in the morning to like find fairies, you know, it's <laughs> like, you know, it's cute, but it's nice not to have that the yeah. whole time. So and actually, one of the biggest things I'm grateful for is the home that she's in when she's not with me, that she has a stepfather who's a wonderful father to the three children, that she has two brothers that are similar in age that she can grow up with. She has a mother who's hugely ambitious in her career. And I love the fact that my daughter is exposed to that because I want her to go on and absolutely conquer the world. And, you know, she's subjected to many different people. And... 
I know that's difficult for a lot of parents to hear because they want that animosity and they probably are frictions between different households. But like, my daughter's just so happy and I'm grateful for her mother and her stepfather for achieving that because they have a huge impact in her life as much as I do. I just hope that more people can find peace within themselves and, and accept that, prioritise that over maybe the anger that they feel. It's so refreshing to speak like that. We did an episode a little while ago, someone who'd done a book about divorce, essentially saying we've been told that it has to be this messy, angry thing and actually it doesn't need to be. A breakup doesn't need to be that. And actually when you put the child first, it can be something completely different and that's actually what you two have managed to do. Yeah, I mean, that seems to be the way right in life is that whenever things don't go the way you want them to, for some reason certain individuals go, well, it's easier to hate, right, than forgive. Mm. But... I'm probably sharing too much here, but like I said, my grandpa's not particularly well right now and that played a massive part in my life in terms of like family politics and everything that went on and some might find this inappropriate. I went to go see him in this home knowing that his time is, is coming to an end and my entire life I adore and I love my grandpa with all my heart. He's one of the main reasons I have these opportunities in life because of his hard work, but he was never present. And that's really tough because you feel that rejection, but you knew deep down he wanted to be there, but he was being influenced by someone to not be. And that's what made it even tougher that he didn't have that strength to push back on that. Because ultimately you go through life without those memories that you could have created. And I sat next to his bed. I just let it out. I just said, I don't know if you can hear me right now, but I just want you to know that I love you with all of my heart. And I just want you to know that you played a massive part in shaping the man that I've become today. And one of the promises I make to you is I'll continue your legacy on and hopefully grow even further and make you proud wherever you go. But I need you to know from the bottom of my heart, you've really hurt me that you weren't there for me when I wanted you to be. And it comes from a place of love that life is short and I feel like we haven't lived that life together and it has made me incredibly angry. And this is an energy that I have had since childhood and I'm 34 now, Grandpa, and I don't want to hold on to this anymore. And if tomorrow your time comes to an end... I just need you to hear this for me to have that closure to move forwards. And whether he did hear it or not, I don't know. But that was a big point in my life where I just wanted to close that chapter where I didn't want to go through life resentful of my grandpa for not being there. But again, I think just being grateful for the moments where he was. Mm -hmm. And even though those stories are very few, you know, they still had a major impact. You know, forgiveness, I think for anyone that's listening is such a hard thing to do, but it's just so important. Life is so short. Why would you waste it on hating someone? Unfortunately, not everyone is going to correlate with your views in life. And that's fine. And I just think in their own right, they are a good person. But I think we have to really be aware of what traumas they have faced and how that shaped them. And it's a little bit like with a child, thinking like that with an adult, Sometimes we expect people to be rational or children to be rational when sometimes they don't have that ability to. And I think rather than judging a person for how they've approached something, be more mindful of what their environment was and how they've been raised. Because actually, it's really easy to persecute someone for something they've said or done. But in their heart of hearts, if they feel what they've done is right and you come at them in the wrong way, their natural reaction is to be back on that fence and probably come back to you with some form of an attack. So I think it really does take that emotional maturity and strength to do that. And sometimes it does suck because all you probably do want to do is shout the roof off and, mm. and, and be angry at them. But actually, if you're going to be the bigger person and you want to go through life, I think in a healthier and a happier way, that's an approach maybe to try and adopt. Yeah, it's interesting as well what you were saying to your granddad. It goes back to what we were saying at the beginning, which is connection. You just wanted that connection and because of all the outside influences that he would have had and that responsibility that I think so many parents would have had to kind of, no, I need to do this, I need to be this person because then that's the life that we have and, you know, society tells me I need to be this certain way. Especially grandparents, there wasn't that lean-in approach that we have now. No, no, not at all. Again, because they are a product of their environment. Yeah. So, you know, these podcasts, books, you know, conversations, panel discussions, whatever it might be, they give us an opportunity to do it and... Again, there's no right and wrong. I think, you know, the conversation we're having here is going to connect with certain individuals and it'll disconnect others. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. fine. You know, that's why it's amazing that you get so many guests on here from different walks of life where people can connect with. I really hope that for me, I've come to actually accept who I am and 
I remember a while ago, somebody brought up the topic of privilege. And, and that was a topic that would get my back up because it was almost like a judgment rather than like a discussion. And actually, I own it. I am from privilege. I am. I've lived the freest life that anyone could live. But what I really hope is, is that and I say this to people, don't judge a person for what they have, judge them for what they do with it or not even judge. I don't like that word. Question them. And I hope that people will look at my time, whether I was on a reality TV show about whatever it was, but look at the last six years and what I've done with my platform and the lengths that I've gone to sort of impact the people that I'm passionate about. Mm -hmm. Question me on that. And if you don't think I'm doing enough, then come to me with a conversation because I think it's so easy to just go, this person's got money or privilege. How do you know that? That's the question. Just because we're on a show that is supposedly about money, have you seen my bank balance? So you get that quite often with people. And like anyone else, you know, I have a mortgage. I've got to pay that off. Yeah, that's my kind of view on things. How has fatherhood changed you? Well, I mean, it has. It changed my life. Well, it's interesting that you say about the last six years. And actually, that last six years is also India time. Do you know what I mean? So that's a massive shift. A hundred percent. It's changed everything, I think, for all of the right reasons. And actually, going back to love again, you know, it's something that I'm so fearful of because my only experience of it has always been a negative, Mm. you know? And I think that fear of opening myself up to that. But then when I look at the dynamic and relationship I have with my little girl and the love that I feel for her. And I think, God, what have I achieved since the day she came into this world? What would it be like to then have that with someone, a partner? What more could I achieve? Because I really do bounce off people. And actually, for me, I'm so drawn to ambition and passion. Mm -hmm. And actually to have that person there, you know, sometimes when you are unsure about the decisions you make, to have that person to lean on and for them to either maybe correct your view on things or empower you to go on and do that the world's really royster you know when I go to weddings now and I look at like you know friends and the relationships that they have and the marriages they have and how happy they are and what they've achieved together and I look at the dynamic that they have with their children you know I wouldn't do it for India I would love to create that family environment for her to be exposed to because actually although love is something that's probably one of my biggest fears it's something that I just think everyone should have and be around And has having India changed that view on love? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm a long way off it. You know, that's going to take me some time, I think. And, you know, one day if I'm fortunate enough to meet that person, they are going to have to be incredibly patient with Mm me. I said that recently at a talk where I'm so grateful for the people in my life because one of the qualities they have to have is patience. You know, I think it'd be so easy to go down the route of of anger and frustration because of some of the traits that I have but I think it's that patience and compassion that they have is what's made our relationship so strong I am going to make mistakes inevitably and I think to have someone in your life that I think talk you through them rather than punishing you for them for me would change everything yeah absolutely um if you could write a letter on being a dad who would it be to and what would you say I did this recently Oh, did you? Yeah, I did actually write a letter. I got quite emotional about it because I think it it just brought up a lot from my past, actually, Mm -hmm. of um, just one of the major lines was, it's going to be okay. The letter would be very much just surrounding that, that whenever times are tough, it's going to be okay, you know? Would that letter be to your younger self? Yeah, that's what I did. I wrote the letter to myself, you know, it's going to be, and even to this day, it's going to be okay because, you know, like yourself, how many times have you faced something in life and you're like, this is tough. I don't know how we're going to get through this. And you do, like, Mm -hmm. it's going to be okay. And I think, don't be afraid to lean on the people around you. I think that's also what these challenges have taught me is that I used to go into them quite independent in terms of my mindset solo. And actually, I've had to trust the people around me with the decisions that they've made and be okay to show that emotion and know that they respect that and support it. And I just wish more people could adopt that approach at a much younger age, you know, and be okay to express yourself. As I said to you, I think it's really important how we express ourselves and understanding maybe that not everyone is going to appreciate it you know Mm -hmm. again it's just about picking the right environment for you and surrounding yourself with those types of people you know finally I touched on it just surround yourself with exceptional people Mm. because your environment is everything and the way that they think feel believe and do you know will ultimately rub off on you and so if you do truly want to be the best or happiest version of yourself having that energy around you will achieve it yeah So we end the podcast Yeah, with you completing three sentences. And the first one is, being a dad means. 
fulfillment, purpose, and accomplishment. Since having a child, I? Since having a child, I have achieved more in my life than I have any year prior to that. I have grown as a man and as a human being, and it has reinstilled my excitement and love for life that I'd lost for many years. And I'm happy when? I'm happy when my daughter is happy and when I go with a gut feeling to do something, even though my mind may tell me not to, that it's justified by, I think, the reaction and the relationship that I've built with my child. Thank you so much. Honestly, like... This year, I feel like you've just burst into my world and you're such an inspiration in so many ways. You're so wise. And actually, I want one thing. If you could pass one piece of wisdom on to India, what would it be? It's okay to be different. And I know that's something that so many people are kind of conflicted with right now because we live in such an open world, but it really is. And just yeah. embrace it and utilise it to go on and do whatever it is you want to do, mm. you know, what is conventional that's it there we go Joshua thank you so much thank you so much <laughs> we have something very exciting to talk about today happy mum happy baby well we are expanding we're only releasing our very first record yes move over McFly move over Tom Fletcher it's all about Happy Mum, Happy Baby. We're going into music, people. We have teamed up with Decca Records and LifeScore to build a one-stop shop for quality, trustworthy educational music for baby, toddler and parent. Music is such a massive part of our family and I'm so thrilled with what we've created. I can't wait for you to hear it. Now, it's worth saying that all the sounds in the album, they are played by real instruments and they feature real nature sounds. There is nothing processed. It is all organic. And all of the music aims to be enjoyable listening experience for both the child and the parent. No plonky plonky piano. It's all just beautiful musicians with their instruments. Honestly, it's a joy to listen to. We all know the number one rule for getting your little one to sleep is to stick to a trusted routine and my hope with this album is that our creation can be a part of that make bedtime an easier transition for all the ultimate baby sleep album is here and it encompasses three parts of baby sleep and it runs in three sections wind down going to sleep and staying asleep running seamlessly from top to bottom for the ultimate baby sleep experience and each section lasts around 30 minutes so Let's delve into each section and tell you what they're about. The wind down is a perfect calming music for bath time and any other pre-bed activity. This encourages special bonding time between parent and baby to prepare for sleep. The melodies I've chosen to feature within the music have a very special place within my own experience of sleep routine. I loved singing little ditties or little lullabies and, and this, it's just got that lovely gentle, melodic feeling to it. The melodies can be easily hummed by parents to capture the bonding power of a parent's voice. And actually, as you listen to the music, you might even catch a few melodies of some traditional classics that would just, ah, oh, they just fill my heart with such love. The next section we have is called Going to Sleep. How we created this was so interesting and I absolutely loved the recording process to kind of really feel that breath actually of the musicians as they were playing. It also features natural sounds and it entwines the lullabies from the previous wind down to encourage baby to nod off at their own pace and in a relaxed state of mind. Those two sections, they kind of work together and they build. We've found that this is the ideal transition for baby to acknowledge that it is now time to go to sleep. And then the next section, the final section, is during sleep or staying asleep. I like to call it staying asleep because that's the dream, people. But it provides 30 minutes of natural and environmental white noise derived from nature sounds. And then actually this leads into an additional nine and a half hours of natural white noise for babies to prefer continuous white noise once asleep. No waking up in the middle of the night to press a little button on a sheep. Not anymore. There's been so much thought 
and love poured into these tracks. We've gone through so many different versions. I've poured on the music that I love, that makes me feel nice and calm. And together with LifeScore and Decca Records, we've really created something that I feel is really magical. I played it to my kids. They love it. I'm so thrilled. <laughs> Can you imagine they didn't? And actually, I have to say that even as an adult, sitting at my desk and listening to different versions, I have often fallen asleep in the best way, in a very contented way. Some might call it work. Some might call it a nice little nap. Either way, I loved it. And it was all because of this album. With 12 hours of continuous music to help your baby sleep through the night, we are so proud to introduce you to Happy Mum, Happy Baby, The Sleep Album. I can't wait for you to hear it and then for you to tell me how you're getting on. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. 